Hello, friends. Today we are talking about yoga. I love yoga. I never thought I would. I know it's got dangers. Today we are talking about this one big question Is yoga against your religion? Maybe you're not religious. Is it against your atheism? And then, is yoga bad for your health? That's what we're looking at today. I'm going to be talking with my wife, Stacy, who is a certified yoga instructor. She's a yogini. And while I'm at it, I should say, as we've announced uh, at a couple places online, we have been telling people no for a while. No, I am not going to speak. No, Stacy is not going to go to your conference and lead everybody in a uh, outdoor stretching with Jesus session, which is, by the way, fantastic. Uh, and uh, why? Well, first of all, COVID. Part of it is I don't like uh, not knowing when this thing's going to be over and then getting something geared up and then having it not happen. I think the last time I spoke was at a Mockingbird event in Dallas right when COVID hit. And so I was getting out of Dallas and uh, we were hanging out uh, near the airport with uh, with some friends, with, uh, with, the, with the folks from Mockingbird. And, uh, and then that was it. Then there wasn't any air travel for a while. And uh, wasn't really interested in getting anything back on. And uh, so we went from, you know, some big gatherings, you know, 22,000, thousand, few hundred here. And then we're like, I don't want to go around people. So, um, so we've been kind of laying low on that. But the other thing, friends, as we may have let you know uh, earlier on, is that we are, you know, we're growing. We're changing our minds on a lot of things. Um, and in that context, or maybe in the context of us not changing our minds so much as about uh, maybe being more vocal in our uh, opposition to some things that we find problematic in American Christianity, uh, specifically things like related to racism and so forth, we realize that some of you are not going to be as thrilled about it. But more importantly, you may love Jeff and Stacy. Oh, you may be our pal. But if you invite me to something six months from now, uh, you know, I don't want you to then all of a sudden have to explain yourself to the, the group that that you report to, you know, maybe you work at a church or a college or something, and they say, you brought Mallinson out to speak? He's, uh, he's an anarchist. <laughs> uh, you, you're inviting Stacy. She's, she, she's doing some weird uh, Hindu yoga stuff. What is this, right? So what we're, what we're really hoping to have done during this pause is give you, the listener, the opportunity to know what we're up to so that we're not going to surprise you. You know, it might always hopefully keep you on your toes. But I think you can kind of get a good sense of where our flow is flowing these days. And so we, we've said that if you would like to uh, reach out to us and schedule us for uh, an event, one or both of us, uh, then please do. We're welcoming anything after our trip to Europe in May. We're doing a study tour with some students. Stacy and I will be going from Morocco to uh, Italy. And, uh, and after we get back, we would be very glad to entertain stuff from July uh, 2022 on. And, uh, you know, it still may not be cleared up by that point, but I bet um, it, there's a chance. And so it's worth checking us out uh, in that regard. What would we bring to you? Well, um, we love talking about lots of different things, but Stacy is really uh, somebody who can speak to groups on facing 
death, uh, anxieties related to death, and also working through uh, the issues of just preparing yourself uh, in very practical ways with advanced directives and such. Uh, she also, of course, is somebody who does a, a, a very interesting thing for groups, and it's been, I just love it, and that is uh, she can bring the Christian contemplative tradition to bear on a, yeah, what we think of as a yin yoga stretching time, right? So you're doing these these poses, but sometimes, uh, you know, if you don't want to have the, the accoutrement of, say, a Hindu tradition, you might be able to sit back with the Christian mystics like Julian of Norwich, um, Teresa of Avila, the people that kind of can help you stay both calm and thoughtful. And uh, if you're interested in that, Stacy's interested in uh, talking to you about coming out and uh, maybe, you, you know, maybe you got a, a conference that you're planning. Uh, let's say you, you got a conference that's coming up and, and you've, you've got talks all day, but you want something really nice and spiritual and reflective at night. That's something that we can do for you. So you check that out. I, of course, ta- I love talking about the history of religion. So if we're talking about uh, any of the things that we talk about on the show, I'd love to talk to you about that. And especially these days, of course, both Stacy and I are really interested in what can we learn from the Tao Te Ching? And of course, the other big one is protecting your Naga with Jesus. If you go back to those 12 studies that we did uh, a season ago or two, um, that's something that we're really passionate about getting back into, helping talk to churches and groups about how to avoid the kind of systemic problems that lead to sexual, physical, mental abuse of various kinds, because that's what we really care about still on this show. So any of that kind of thing, we're, uh, we're, we're back up uh, looking for opportunities after July 2022. Unfortunately, I was really excited about going to Japan this last summer because I was going to talk about Taoism, Christianity, and Buddhism at the, uh, at the, in uh, Hiroshima, Japan. Uh, but of course, they had a hard enough time with the Olympics, so that didn't happen. So I uh, kind of do want to get back out there these days. It's been nice to take a little pause, but uh, enough of the enough of the commercial. So for today's show, we're going to be talking about yoga. See if it's something that you might be interested in. Is it possible that uh, wherever you're coming from, this might be something healthy and happy uh, for you in your life? Check it out. Thanks for being with us, friends. Let us go. Man, Stacy, you know, why haven't we talked about yoga yet explicitly? We've talked about it a lot. <laughs> we haven't talked about it indirectly, just not a whole show on it yet. And this, you know, season we're looking at nutrition, health, but really it's all those things that are practical. How do you live out your spirituality in practical ways? But in particular, what are we feeding ourselves with? What are we nourishing ourselves with? And so this is a kind of physical and arguably spiritual kind of nourishment. Would you agree? How would you, what would you think about what yoga represents? Um, I definitely, uh, definitely see both. Um, I think if you're, <laughs> I will say, uh, if you're going in there thinking that you're going to have a spiritual moment, you'll probably miss out on what yoga really does have to offer you. Yeah. What do you um, mean? Well, there, there are, there's a spirituality that can come from it, but mm. I think the first piece is really learning to connect with your body and really learning to 
you know, move your body and feel, you know, yeah. those sensations to feel where you're holding tension, to feel where your muscles might be tight, um, yeah. you know, those kinds of things to, to know when you are having a hard time balancing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, all of these things that I think we often, uh, I don't think we pay enough attention to our body. I think that yeah. we're zooming off from one thing to the next. We, you know, everybody requires stuff of us with our minds and our, you know, and whether, <laughs> you know, being there, right? Customer service, whatever it is that you do. But yeah. when it actually comes to just literally paying attention to your body for a second, be with your body and listening to it. Um, yeah. Then the spiritual part. Uh, once you're fully in that, <laughs> in yeah. the present, being present with your body, the spiritual yes. piece is sort of kind of like those aha moments that people might feel that come from that part. Yes. But. And isn't it interesting though, the way we think about the word spiritual, um, in many ways, what you're describing is what I think has been the most important part of the spirituality of yoga for me, which is this idea that I needed to reconnect with my body. I was always up in my head. I'm constantly stressing about ideas and I'm arguing about ideas and political and religious concepts and abstractions. And I wasn't being very healthy with my own physical body. Mm -hmm. And that was a sign of spiritual unhealth, I would argue. And what are these words, right? Like people don't like the word spirituality because like, what does that mean? Is it woo-woo? Is it supernatural? I think it is, uh, for me, it's kind of like when we, when we think about Zazen, the, the Japanese Buddhist practice of, of sitting, there's a similar thing in Taoist practice where you're just kind of sitting naturally and being present, mm -hmm. which of course for many people is the essence of the spiritual practice, like when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's not like he's saying you're a bad Christian or you're a bad spiritual person. If you're worried, we're all, we're all stressed about stuff. It's the idea that the heart of spirituality is, is being mindful and present in that space, which includes your physical body. Yeah. And when you, you've done it for me, I mean, I, I went into it. I will say my, my, my connection with yoga was, I was not, it was something I would not think it was to be done. You know, I kind of made fun of like Seattle dudes, like, you know, going to yoga. I'm like, what are you doing? What right. is this? Um, but I was, I was at a point of such great anxiety and stress and I was fidgeting. I'm always moving around. And I realized after one, I mean, I just had to get some kind of stoppage to the madness, but I didn't want to go into some goofy meditation space where I was going to get trapped into some cult. Right. I needed whatever that is. Mm -hmm. I knew that church didn't offer that for me mm -hmm. because they, they were not, I mean, typically church has not been a place where my physical body is connected to the spiritual stuff. And that there's almost, there's a, there's a hostility to, uh, even the thought of meditation. Mm -hmm. So for me, since I didn't want to go to a cult and meditate and I couldn't meditate at church, I needed to find a space where I could do whatever I thought meditation would be, which is sitting in the lotus position at the very beginning and end of the yoga class. Mm. And so that's why I dragged you to it. But how, how would you describe your, your relationship or how you got into it, uh, yoga? Well, obviously, like you said, you dragged me into it. I, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, but I, I've, I went in 
basically kicking and screaming. Uh, no. Sometimes people say literally, <laughs> literally kicking. I mean, but you know, you didn't kick me, but you were angry at me. I, I did not want <laughs> you were to like go. I just, it was so out of my comfort zone. Um, and for all of those reasons that you had already hit on to mm. religiously and things like that. I, so I had my own skeptic, you know, skepticism towards that. Um, and, and then the huge, huge, huge piece for me was just my own, um, I don't know, my, my, my own relationship with my body and my own shame towards my yes. my body. And so a lot of people go in thinking, oh, are these other Pilates ladies going to judge my physical body? And what, you know, what, I, what, what do I wear? And, you know, and do I feel comfortable even in this outfit? I, I always, I never wore anything that um, was tighter fitting on me. I would always, you know, over wear baggy things in a mm-hmm. sense, you know, mm-hmm. like just, I didn't want anything that was like, you know, too, too tight or whatever. And so, I, yeah. And I thought I would be judged for, you know, yeah, for what I was wearing for, uh, you know, even the style. Right. Um, and then also uh, my body in what I was wearing. And, uh, I think that the, there's just, I think, especially growing up in, as a young girl in Southern California, where yes. appearances are such a big Huge. thing, you know. Um, I don't know if you don't know this, friends. I don't know if this is true for you in Ohio or in Nebraska or in Boston. But one of the things that I've noticed that's very troubling is we've, we've traveled quite a bit, right? Around the world, around the, the, the United States. Uh, we're taking students on a five uh, Europe trip in May. Uh, hopefully, you know yeah. we've got to wait to see how the how the COVID thing goes. But as I come back, you notice things about home. You, you notice things about your space that you mm-hmm. normally live in. And what I notice is everybody greets each other with an assessment of each other's appearance. Mm. You're looking good, or whatever, yeah, or you're kind, or yeah. I like your earrings, or I like you know whatever but, it is. Like but yeah, maybe the earrings, but to me the body, like it's yeah. almost intrusive. I'm like, I don't really feel like I get the that as much anywhere else. Mm-hmm. But how people are physically looking, yeah. or people judging other people, or just watching people's eyes, men and women, mm-hmm. especially with women in Orange County, greet each other whether they're conscious of it or not by scanning the body up to up and down it's not always like a leering kind of sexual thing it's a comp- competition thing sometimes sizing you up you're, you're you're checking in on who's relatively better than the other person and it's sad to me well there's there's been a number of times when you know we've been walking bendy down in like newport beach or you know one of these beach communities and i'll see uh an older woman who i i mean i they truly look anorexic. Yeah. And then they're still trying to jog. Yeah, like they're almost like know? they're running from something. Like, and, wow, yeah. Yeah, and to me, it's always it's just, and, and there might be other things, so I don't know for sure, you yeah. know, but I I do know that there is a lot of um, eating disorders yeah. in the area because, you know, there's the the Hollywood, you know, and the, the what the the movie stars and everything and that what they try to aspire to be yeah. and and I think some you know for that's not what your the average body type normally um, yeah. would look like and and, here, and and this is where it comes back to yoga is that in some of the same spaces where they'll have yoga there may be people that are going to yoga that to stay fit. Right. Right. They want to make sure their body's looking good and all this. And so you could run into that. But for more, but more, mostly when I see, and if a studio does um, Pilates and yoga, yeah, usually you're going to find the, those 
types of people going to the Pilates section if they yeah. really, really <laughs> right. want the workout. Or, yeah, there's like a, um, you know, power the, yoga. There are some right. folks that will go to the yoga piece, but if, it doesn't take very long when you're in a yoga class that your Apple Watch doesn't register that you <laughs> did any exercise. I, right. You know, you are definitely building, you know, muscle strength or, mm. you know, <laughs> basically... Um, uh, you're strengthening your your tendons and all yeah. these kinds of things. You're you know you're doing a lot of stuff with your body, right? But it doesn't appear to be like a heart rate. Yeah, you're type. not getting the aerobic stuff. Right. But, um, but I guess I, I also wanted to say that we go we've gone to studios that we've liked in the heart of the most surface uh, level culture wealth, all those things we're talking about, and even there you can show up as you are. There yes. is a way from almost everywhere I've been, even in places that I would not expect it, people aren't sizing you up. No. People are all kind of vulnerable there. You don't stare at each other's bodies. You're looking at the ceiling. Your eyes are closed. You're, you're balancing. You know, even in, if in I'm a looking lot of those, at, If know, I'm looking at anybody else during a yoga class, it's to just be sure that I'm doing the move right. Yes. It's not ever yeah. looking at somebody to, you know, yeah. size them up or anything like you know, that. And, and I that can't was, guarantee everyone's like that, but you know, it, from generally my, speaking. From my experience, yeah. I have never felt like I was being right. judged in a yoga class. So that was, I'll tell you, honestly, if I would have walked into that first class and felt like somebody was judging That'd me, been the and end. especially the instructor, yeah. I don't think I would have ever been able to darken the door of another yoga class. And so, yeah. I anyway, I, that's so rare even in so Southern California that I had, you know, like I, that's so rare that I didn't come across it, at least yeah. in the types of places that I went to. Now there are, you know, you also look at like some of the hot yoga places and things like that. I don't know. I didn't, I've never done yeah. some of those we types of... Few, we, we Here, here's the real trick, friends. Before COVID, when we first got into it, we saved a little money because we would go to all of them and we would do the two, you know, like the cheap or free two week, uh, all you can eat, um, you know, trial. Yes. So we would go to places and we would do the two week trial yeah. I've done and then go to another place. Class. What I'm yeah. saying is a place that that's what they're all yes. about. Yes. Is what and I'm we'll talk to about say. these different groups in yeah. just a moment. I know we're going to go to the history part in a second, but before we do, I want to back up a little bit to go back to the, my first day at the yoga class. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. um, you know, I mentioned, um, you know, the shame and the, the, the body, uh, image issues. And I, it was in that yoga class that, um, like for the, kind of for the first time, um, you know, I did stop and actually, you know, really felt my embodiment for the first time, Right. you know, I mean, not totally the first time, but you know, there's other, there's other moments too, I guess, giving birth and things like that, yeah, where, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it hits you that you're in a body, but, um, uh, but you're thinking about other things when you're having babies. <laughs> yeah. A whole lot of, other, but anyway, but my point is, is like just that, um, uh, that learning to accept exactly where my body is at, at that moment, I think, so often I would, I, I would judge myself because I, f you know, I would feel judged by others. Mm -hmm. And so I was constantly, you know, kind of like, you know, wondering how I'd be perceived. And I, and I knew my own imperfections, you know, <laughs> I'd be the first person to, you know, maybe not say it out loud, but definitely feel it, you know, as a one, I knew, you know, I judge myself harder probably than most people would judge me. And, what I started to learn with yoga was 
one that I was doing that um, and became more conscious of how I did judge myself rather mm-hmm. than just allowing myself to be and to learn to be comfortable in my own skin. Yep. A lot of my Christianity um, upbringing and stuff, I just felt like, you know, the body's bad, the body's sinful, um, the body's something to be shameful of. And the yoga class taught me that my body is actually, it's a natural thing. It's how I get from point A to point B. I, mm. I need to love that body too. Um, that it's not, you know, just only the mind that matters. It's being grateful for, you know, the fact that, you know, it's through this body that I, that I could have babies, that I, mm-hmm. that I do, um, you know, live out my day, mm-hmm. um, that it does help get me through difficult uh, times um, and learning how to breathe and calm myself down and, um, and basically sometimes stop my mind from kind of going crazy in, yeah. in loops and all kinds of stuff. It'd be like, no, just start to breathe and feel, you know, <laughs> come back to earth <laughs> essentially. And so that's what some of the things of what yoga has taught me and why I continue to go back. Yeah. Because that's course, the other yeah. thing too. I feel like it's easy to get right back and caught up into the world of things and to take and stop and take that moment, just like almost like you would even in your own, like, you know, if you're, praying or exercise, whatever, like all sorts of things. It's just, it's a, becomes, you know, part of your routine or some of your habit Mm. of, um, you know, that you kind of need those reminders. It's the same way people go to church a lot of times, right? Mm. You you want to come back to a certain space. I thought Diane von Voris had a good uh, take on this in terms of the the health part of it, kind of playing off what you're saying there. Uh, It's not that yoga is going to help you lose weight because of the aerobic activity, it's going to help you lose weight or get healthy because it's going to stimulate your thoughts about other things you're doing negative with your body. Getting back in touch with your body mm-hmm. allows you to ask later on, why am I eating? Am I eating because I'm stressed? Am I, am I hurting my body? Like you're just paying attention more. And that's how for the, for, for the, the, the first effect for me was I lost 30 pounds. I'm not saying this would be your experience, friends. I'm saying that when I realized how unloving I was being towards my body and what I was eating and drinking, um, then it had a very quick effect. But it wasn't, again, I don't even go to a lot of the, the active yogas. I really like restorative, yin, gentle. I need that soothing aspect mm-hmm. of it uh, most of all. And that's why w- what, what I really love is that then you went on to get your certification, but your kind of specialty, your superpower is the yin. Yeah. And I think you even did that for your final project in the, in the, mm-hmm. in the yeah. program. Um, yeah. Yin and, and restorative, uh, yoga would basically yeah. be my, you know, and that's, and, and that's what we do with the students. Yin restorative. <laughs> that's what we do with the students, uh, mm-hmm. on Wednesdays and we couple it with, uh, the Christian contemplative prayer tradition, which we'll talk about later. Um, but that's a really nice time because we do it at nine o'clock and then everybody goes back and then they can kind of crash, yeah. you know, for a, a busy, busy part of the semester. Right. I, I, and I commonly hear, um, you know, the students say I slept so well that night you yes. know, and felt actually rested the next morning. That's how I feel. And I always, and I, if I'm sitting with my, with my computer and my back's killing me, being able to, to stretch it out, I don't even know why it works so well. But then when I come home, I'm like, well, I didn't even need a massage anymore. And that, to me, that's a big deal. I used to spend every, every, few, every semester, I think, towards the end of the year, I'd get like a $100 massage just because I was just, ah, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. And I don't, 
I still like that, but um, I don't need it as much because it, it, it is helping me to get some of those tensions out. But I say this. But the other thing, yeah. too, is your body is constantly giving you signals. And so yoga helped me to get in touch with what those signals mm-hmm. were so that, you know, um, I think I would often find myself just with almost a chronic neck ache before realizing, oh, I need to do some movements with my shoulders and mm-hmm. my neck and, and I need to breathe a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm really tensing up. And so rather than like the point when everything's in lockup, you know, right. getting my attention, I can start to hear, feel those signals earlier. Right. And in and, and like a, you know, weekly or biweekly class or whatever also will allow you to sort of feel those things before they become... Um, you know, too much. Two big problems. I mean, I mean, I should have been paying attention. It was right before we stopped doing yoga for a while because of COVID. I started to realize, like, I thought I had some kind of arthritis problem. Mm. And I saw that as I was standing on my one foot. If I would have paid it better attention, then I could have gotten it checked out and not let my gout get so bad. Yeah. But you see, as the Tao Te Ching says, baby, failures and successes both lead to lessons. <laughs> and you learn uh, lessons from both. Right? I am really glad that I got gout because then it helped me to get excited about changing up my diet. And mm-hmm. I haven't, since I had gout, I haven't had meat. And, I'm, and I don't really need to say that for any other reason than it was helpful for me because it's easy for me to have some, some way of saying, this is the way I'm going to think about my diet so that I don't rely overly on things that aren't healthy, right? So I think, you know, forget, if you get the ethical considerations out of it, a nice piece of chicken on a salad is just great, you know? But I would find myself just eating a big pile of chicken wings and Mm. not having the other stuff, you know? So and then And yeah, so like the things, you know, I don't know, the things like gout or whatever, your body's screaming at you basically saying, you're going to keep getting bigger and bigger problems here if you don't start paying attention to what, what you're feeding me, what you're yep. doing, you know. So friends, you're thinking, oh, this sounds great. Let's do yoga, except it's against my religion. Or you're an atheist and you're saying, it's against my atheism. I don't do the woo-woo. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, uh, that's, that's one of the big things. Could you remind the listeners, it was a, maybe season two, we were talking about the farm. We, went, we visited the farm in Tennessee that used to be a cult, mm-hmm. commune, uh, and now it's kind of not. You know, we talked about it in the, the title we gave. It was decultification or something. But uh, it was funny because we're, we're, we were trying to figure out, is this cult, is it still a cult? Is it scary? Should I be here? Are you able to think for yourself? And you said to some 28-year-old guy who lived there mm-hmm. that you, you were thinking, you know, hey, I do yoga. Well, he, and he was against, um, he's like, oh, I, you know, I, he's like, I, I don't do the Hindu stuff, right? Like, yeah. I'm not, I, I can't, I can't do that religious yeah. stuff. I'm like, well, you're, you're in luck because what I do is yin and yin, uh, um, is actually based, uh, you know, as a Chinese past. It's not, yes. it's not connected in the it's same way. It's not Hindu at all. Hindu, There's no Shiva so. worship. Anyway. And it was great because here's the young person. They're saying, Hey, you know, we know this, this place has been hippie for a while and the, the, the taste in the mouths of the young people is, uh, is is not so good when it comes to some of these traditions. So let's get into Maybe this. Really yeah. quick, too. Yeah. One thing to add to that as well is um, one thing that always sort of struck me. Uh, there was one time I was in a yin yoga class with an instructor that also, you know, would teach other classes as well. And she said at the end, she was like, I am always uncomfortable ending my yin yoga classes with namaste mm-hmm. because that's very much a, a Hindu term. Yeah. And, and that's not necessarily, you know, what 
the tradition would be in a yin, what yin yoga is. class. Yeah. And so it's just, there is a difference there. And anyway, mm-hmm. not, I mean, I would still go to some of the other yoga classes sure, as well. Sure, sure. Um, I definitely, I've also kind of been to ones that seem to be a little bit very, you know, very much sort of Hindu in, in and it felt like a little bit more like a, a religious or churchy type service. And that really yeah. wasn't for me. And that was the one that we said, nope, nope, and nope. It was like, I, I remember going and, you know, there's like a lot of the, and you'll see this and some, I don't care all the time. If, if you've got some Hindu deities around on the wall, sometimes they just got the, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, right, right. like an, like an Irish pub, they'll, they'll get that. But if it's really heavily into that, that's something that does, uh, is off putting to me, but especially when it's done in what I think of as a, in the bad sense, religious way. Yeah. Like, this is how you have to have your back. You're like, uh, right. all right, right, <laughs> right, right. there, lady. Because uh, I, I have I, enough I've of enough that of, in my life yeah. that, that is <laughs> I don't need to go me. to another type but, of church. So. But, um, but maybe we'll start here because at the end, yeah, you're saying namaste. Well, what is this? This is this idea, essentially, that the light in me, the spirit in me, honors and mm-hmm. greets the light that's in you. Mm-hmm. But it's basically like the Rastafarian I and I, the God in me, the, the spark of God that's in my body is recognizing itself in your body. Right. And this is where, yeah, there's a religious element to it. I will say that one of the things that you've done that's been really nice over the last uh, year and, and, and change now um, in, in connecting up with, um, with the Christian contemplative uh, tradition um, you've got meditation where you're kind of thinking about a text or something, right? In the Christian way of thinking about it, but the way they, they break it out is uh, contemplation is, is more about paying attention to the presence of what we call God, right? It, it's, it's about receiving, um, it's, uh, it's, the mystics are all into this. Mm-hmm. It's about receiving what's already there. It's, it's recognizing, like, like Julian of Norwich said, God is in the acorn or the hazelnut, you hold it up and you say, this is, this is where the presence is. Mm -hmm. The presence is in me. And so even though we don't say, um, we don't say namaste, what what do you say at the end? Uh, Well, I ask them if they would like to receive a blessing. Of course we're in, by the way, we're at a Christian university, so it's appropriate not to appropriate, cultural appropriation is a big problem with a lot of yoga. You get a bunch of suburban white moms with with Ganesha on the on the uh, on the pants, and it's kind of mm, that's not really good either. You know, like the the cultural appropriation can sometimes be a problem where you use your Hinduism just for like a, an afternoon on Tuesdays. You know, like uh, like it's more of like a, a, a that's well perfect example of appropriation, right? If you're not really understanding what's going on. But anyway, so now we're in a Christian context. We don't do Christian yoga, right? Like in the sense that you've created some special thing that's all about that, but that's what you're reading about. That's what you're kind of reflecting on at the beginning and throughout well, the text. Well, and what I always, when I start my class, the, the whole point is it for it to be sort of, I declare it as this space of unconditional love. Yeah. So you call it stretching with Jesus, which people, right. what, are, what are you saying about that? And so it's, you know, basically it's this space where, um, com- Complete and total love and acceptance for yourself, for your neighbors around you. The intrinsic value. For just in, in this one hour, at least, yeah. if nothing else, you can kind of hold this space pretty much as sacred yeah. for this moment of being able to be 
comfortable, to be just mm. present, to be yeah. knowing that you are valuable. It's not about anything that you're doing. It's yep. not about, you know, nothing who, to achieve. Nothing. There's nothing to be done. Which it's, is a very good Jesus thing, right? Yes, the unconditional love. Complete unconditional love. And so that's the, the, the first part. And then, and then I always, we, of course, with every yoga class, um, you know, we, we end, uh, with the, um, I, re- I always refer to the more of the English terms, the things I, you know, um, and so I call it the corpse pose at the end where you're laying flat on your mat or your blanket. Savasana. Yes. Savasana. Not, right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in my class, I always call it the corpse pose and you're laying, you know, flat there. And then you have what I usually give them about seven minutes of silence, um, of just laying there and, um, and then, you know, slowly, you know, you wake back up again, you know, you come back, you mm-hmm. know, and, um, and then roll over onto one of your sides. I'm in the fetal position. And then I say, um, you know, you know, this is your time to leave whatever you want here on your mat or your blanket. Mm-hmm. And when you come up, you can rise anew, um, you know, with who who it is that you want to be or do right now. Yeah. Kind of like for me, it's like, like shedding the false ego that I've constructed. Right. Letting that kind of fall off like dead skin onto the ground and then rising up in with my true self. Because one of the things, you know, um, I think we shared it on the show in my lecture, what I really have liked about your insight, you are who you've been, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to be. Right. So right now, who do, who, who am I right now? And I really love that. But then you have a little Christian angle I, on the end. And I say, I ask them if they want to receive a blessing. They can put their hands out. And I say, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the holy priesthood. You are the body of Christ. You are the presence of the kingdom. And this kingdom shall have no end. And I say, you know, amen. And then say, go in peace. Yeah. That's how I end. And I love it. That's like a little uh, boost of for the week. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's owls that fly over us because we do it outside since COVID, you yeah. know. There is a nice studio on campus. but I'm, and, I'm we're, and, we, and we hear like the little like frogs and yeah, crickets and things. it's just amazing. And, and what's really great is we, sometimes I like to put together like a cool album or something that I want to share. But we also have uh, our student Landon who shows up and he's got, he just plays the music along with you. It's kind of like an old, uh, you know, Southern preacher where you're like praying and then there's like the organ behind it. <laughs> Only the sounds are really kind of cool, you know. Yeah, and, um, he does a great job. And what's amazing too about um, if you're ever doing yoga with live music is the ability for the musician to sort of, you know, match the the whole flow of, you know, that the movements of the time mm. or whatever to really kind of make it a full experience that it's all together rather than, you know, maybe you're doing sort of a silent thing and all of a sudden faster, you know, music starts playing, you know, that yeah. kind of might throw you off a little bit, um, you know, but anyway. So, so that's kind of the background. Yeah. Again, now what, what, can we do this, right? Is it against my religion? That's where we, that's where we want to go next, right? And, and the, the, the reason I wanted to talk about what you say at the end is, is that, uh, that that idea of namaste is maybe different in the Hindu tradition, but there is something similar which is honoring the spark that is in each person there. That you, the idea that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit was for us. It was used to say, "Don't you know? Don't eat bad things. Don't smoke. Don't have sex." <laughs> right. Right. But the but the other part of that though is this Christian idea 
that God isn't dwelling anymore in, in a temple or in a building, but rather in the human beings that embody God's mission in well, the and, world. And God is in with and under all things. Right. So there that is that includes... namaste. I mean, namaste is a Christian concept too, if especially you're in that tradition um, that I think is a good one, the mystical tradition of Christianity. And, you know, it was, I really realized how, how, how much this theme goes through the, the mystic tradition when last week you were sharing with the students some readings from uh, Teresa of Avila. And uh, she's a, you know, a, a mystic that is actually more recently, I think in the 70s, was uh, given the title of doctor of the church, doctor ecclesiae, um, in, the, in the Catholic tradition. And uh, she, even though she was a woman that kind of, you know, ruffled some feathers, but she, um, but she had a quote. What was, do you remember the? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I actually have it right here. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, please. Yeah. It says, Christ has no body now, but yours, no hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands. Yours are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. I think you should probably keep that one <laughs> around uh, <laughs> yeah. with your, your stack there with the, the yoga materials uh, because that one really fits nicely. Now, there are people that don't like that. Yeah. And so let me, let me then get to the, the question, is, is yoga against your religion? It might be, and it might mean that you need to change your religion. Mm. Because if you're, and what I mean by that is, if your spiritual tradition, if your religious community refuses to let you find that space that Stacy's talking about, that's a sign that you should find somewhere that lets you have that space. And, um, and I really mean this. And I know that there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that don't like the Hindu aspect of yoga. There was the young kid that was, that was not a Christian, you know, but he didn't want the, the Hindu stuff because he had seen too many weird hippie cult stuffs. There's too, too many weird hippie cult things happen. So, but if there is a, if there is a religious community that you're in that doesn't let you acknowledge your own body and, and recognize how your body feels and take that time for silence Mm-hmm. and they're just going to be preaching dogma at you all the time, that's, I think that's not healthy. Well, and, and one of the things that I often, I mean, I've told the students many times that I've thought that, um, you know, prayer was only pretty much where I, you know, make my petitions be known to God, and I ask right. for things, and I praise God for Your things. Christmas list. So I'm, and, and, and but praising and, and also, sure. you know, the... You know, all, you know, all these things right. and where I tell God he's great. Ask for a couple things. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I, it wasn't until, you know, later on now in my adult life, um, where I realized that my prayer life now, um, you know, also consists of listening and being silent and listening for God to speak. Yes. And to me, I guess there was a time when I, you know, I don't know. I think I I was definitely not encouraged to do that. Maybe almost like, um, you were discouraged. Well, uh, yeah. Like I think that basically I was kind of told that I would then be inviting other spirits or something almost into my, my body. If I, if I ever sort of, 
yes. became silent. Yes. And that's I, what I heard. Yeah. You know, and like I, I just it opens up a door to the demonic. I'll, and one of the things that I have, you know, when I was uncomfortable with it at first, to be like, okay, this is not an open door to demonic. You know, God protect me here. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, like, you know, because I uh, you no know. imps or demons are allowed in right now. Thank <laughs> right. you. But I yeah. do want to listen to you, God. <laughs> you yeah. know, so you know, you can always also prepare that space and your own joints and heartbeat and you know yeah. all that stuff. Right. Listen, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Because because that's the key. But this is the key, Stacy. We weren't taught in American evangelicalism well enough that we were the gatekeepers of our soul anyway. No. So they wanted to feed us. Yeah, whatever it is. They were dumping stuff into our heads. We weren't figuring it out on our own. They didn't want to. We didn't get to choose whether to think about it. Right. um, If it's Christian, you get to gobble it down. If it's not Christian, you don't get to touch it. You know, music, movies, whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, Mm -hmm. eh, sometimes the, the Christian stuff's the worst. If it's, if if it's, if it's, uh, yeah, it's like, I'm saying like, well, if you're even from a Christian perspective, right. If you just go to some secular school, then you're just going to learn about business or whatever and, and, and whatever. But if you go to a Christian college, well, maybe it's a different kind of Christian, or maybe you're asking questions and answering them in ways that, that you didn't get in Sunday school. And I'm telling you, sending your kids to a Christian university is a risky business because if, if you're going to go there, you're going to actually be asking questions about science and religion. Right. And that's where the, that's where it gets dangerous. Well, and, and, and the unconditionally loving God of the entire universe is not going to be one that is out to get you. Yes. And, <laughs> and, trip so, you up. Yeah. and so, um, I think that, it's the other versions of, or the other, I hope call them gods that people do create and call it God um, yes. that aren't, it, it doesn't ring true sometimes when you are finally listening Yes, and they don't want you, they don't want you to shy away from their version of God that they want for whatever reason for you to continue to, I don't know, worship, pay attention to um, pretty much. I guess, control you with so yep. that they have more, you know, more slaves to do their bidding rather than God's real bidding or who you, yeah. you, what's best for you. So can I go to the history of it? All right. When we talk about yoga, that could, that's just like a way, right? Like it's a, it's a way of doing it, of doing something. Uh, but what we, when today, when you hear somebody talking about yoga, what they generally mean is a tradition related to Hatha yoga. Hatha yoga is something that emerged as a, like a formal system in the 13th century in India. And it was kind of, I think, more for like a popular audience. Popularly, people could take advantage of it, but it was similar to what the ascetics were doing. So there were some people that would just be doing these poses for long periods of time in the hot sun, burning cow poop, in, in this ascetic tradition where you're kind of beating your body down, could be really sometimes dangerous. Uh, spiritually powerful, but not necessarily healthy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so what Hatha yoga is, is for these non-ascetics, people can come along and, and take advantage of some of these practices, maybe not hanging out for like, you know, hours in the sun. Now, how this uh, really has emerged as a, a formalized field today is through a dude named James Mallinson. And I'm totally jealous of this guy. Mm-hmm. He was at Oxford also, uh, but he was studying the history of yoga and he was going back and he collects all the old texts and he has a book that I've read called The Roots of Yoga, writes it with Mark Singleton, and this came out in 2017. So when I got this, I'm thinking, this is great. I love this book. It also 
the dude's name is Mallinson. Mm-hmm. A lot of James, Charles, and, and, and Mallinsons, you know, so it's a very common name. I look him up. He kind of looks like what I would look like if I had dreadlocks. And I'm like, this guy's cool, man. This is the coolest guy. And what he did is he's a, a, a real Oxford historian that goes in and he's looking at the roots of modern yoga. So he's going back to really starting to study the systems that start flourishing in the 18th century in India. So you've got a long, long tradition. It goes back before, you know, as far back as we can think. We have some evidence of it when you see poses that are engraved into rock, into the side of buildings. But when we understand it in terms of texts, 13th through the 18th century, that's what that's what James uh, Mallinson studies. Now, I will say for a non-specialist, it's not thrilling. I'm hoping that he's going to write maybe a more popular level book on it because The Roots of Yoga, that book is a scholarly book that has just a lot of texts and they're not always interesting. For instance, some of the, well, they're interesting, but they're not necessarily the thing that you're going to pick up and find inspirational. Like some of the processes are like, you know, spitting, or you know, swirling your saliva around, spitting on the left side of your mouth, um, putting a finger in your anus and swirling it around. These are things that I'm not going to be um, interested in for a yoga no. class. Um, but what is it really that's going <laughs> on? Sometimes, disgusting. but sometimes if you go back into it, what it is is quackery, just yeah. straight up quackery, where they know that there are some things that work, mm-hmm. breath practices, br- um, br- breathing, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in rhythmic ways. <laughs> That's what, I mean, all um, about like what, when you're giving birth, right? Sitting Lamas still. And all that yeah. it was all about breathing. But then they to... throw in a couple mm-hmm. other things, you know, so it's a little bit quacky, you know, and they, and people knew this, right? You'd have all sorts of different teachers trying different ways, but, but the, the spiritual side of it was picked up pretty quickly by Buddhists and Jains, uh, J-A-I-N-S. These are these are nonviolent people. When you talk about ahimsa of nonviolence, that's something that's really big for the, the Jain tradition. And um, in the Hindu tradition, though, of course, that's where it really becomes big because it's India. And the, the Vedic use of what we call tapas, um, spelled the same way as the Spanish small plates, <laughs> but tapas refers to these austerities where you're kind of holding something in to win a boon. And a boon is like protection or spiritual power from the gods. So what they were thinking they were going to do is they were going to, they were going to fast or they were going to do this difficult thing like hanging upside down on a tree for t- 10 hours and that was going to give them spiritual power from the gods. That's not what we're into. But that's, that was what they thought. I think they actually got spiritual power Maybe not from the gods, but they got it because the practice produced something in their mind, an ability to calm and uh, calm the mind and all these things we've talked about with the body. Uh, But then there are these uh, shramana traditions that focused on stilling the mind uh, specifically. But they kind of get started with this idea of annihilating past karma. So in Hinduism... You know, you're reborn, you, you know, you're poor because you did something bad in the past life. You can clear out that karma through the stilling uh, of the tradition. So again, early on, yeah, these Hindus are thinking, I am going to get a, a special power from the gods if I do this act, which isn't very <laughs> gracious, right? Like, so, I mean, regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, what we like about the mystical tradition and Lutheranism is this idea of receiving passively 
the beauties and the benefits that are already there. Right. You know, um, but this idea of what I re- react very strongly against is any form of yoga where I'm doing something religiously so that I can get points. <laughs> That's just, I'm, I'm done with that. That's why we right. said in the one tradition, I think we did, like, if you're doing yoga to get rid of your old karma and that there was a Hindu Indian lady from, from, Hindu lady from India mm-hmm. and she was kind of treating it in that way. And mm-hmm. that's what I think we responded negatively to. It's interesting though. We talk, people know about like Tantra, like tantric sex. Mm-hmm. Yoga emerges from Tantra, but tantric sex is not um, what we think it is today. Today it's often like hustlers, like trying to sell you how to have like a great love life, the sex life. But uh, Tantra is really about this idea that sometimes people would, uh, like the Kama Sutra, they would engage in sexual practices to have like a, a state of mind change. So you, like if, if a dead body is seen as unclean by ceremonially touching a dead body at certain times, it kind of whack, snacks, smacks your brain mm-hmm. in such a way that it creates an altered state, the same as drugs or fasting or, or roomy spinning around and, and dancing and getting dizzy. It's an altered state of consciousness that's created through doing things that you normally wouldn't do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like having like kind of orgiastic sex in a Hindu ritual does not mean that Hindus of even at that period of time when that was going on were promiscuous in general. It was precisely the opposite, kind of like what Slavoj Žižek says about the Catholic Church making sex more interesting. By prohibiting it, mm-hmm. it makes it fun. And if it, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, pretty much. I mean, I think the common thing is, is you know, whatever it is you tell your kids that they can't do because that would be how they rebel, is the thing that they will definitely do. Yes. Yeah. It's, right. I mean, it's kind of like the number one <laughs> yeah, thing like, yeah, yeah. for you. What motorcycles and yes. tattoos. The only right? thing my dad said I couldn't have are those two things, and I got them both. So just be careful. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you, you really prohibit? don't want your your children doing something, maybe don't ever declare it, and they're probably less likely. <laughs> no. To, yes. To steer clear, but if you declare it, I don't know. You might. You're probably looking at. Uh, then that's exactly what they're going to end up doing. Yes. Now, many religions have something called soteriology, uh, at least in the Christian tradition. This is very common. People talk about this. Soteriology is, is the idea of how are you saved? And so there is a soteriology of this classic Hindu yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically the idea is that the body is like a chariot. If you imagine like the body is a chariot and yourself, Atman, is the rider of the chariot. So in yoga, you're kind of understanding this relationship. The intellect, the booty, is the charioteer. And this actually is really interesting if there's a guy named uh, Jonathan Haidt Mm -hmm. who talks about uh, psychology and the idea that he kind of uses similar metaphors that what actually happens is our bodies actually drive us in a direction and then our minds follow along and justify it. So the charioteer Uh, is like partly there, but the animals are already moving before the charioteer is kind of guiding it. It's an interesting thing. Mm. The mind or the manas, uh, these are the reins. The senses, indriya, are the horses. And the sense, the sense objects, Visaya, are the paths taken by the senses. So you've got all these things together. And uh, this is a quote from the uh, James uh, Mallinson book uh, that, that comes from an older text. Quote, if the senses are not brought under control, the result is rebirth. So you don't, in Hinduism, you don't want to be reborn. Uh, if, on the other hand, one who is able to control the senses by means of the mind as a charioteer, um, as a charioteer reigns in his horses... That person is not reborn, and he attains nirvana, the highest state. So the idea is yoga is actually practicing 
nirvana. You're getting to nirvana where you're just sitting in bliss, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So uh, a quote from, um, from James Mallinson himself, if I may, quote, Traditional Indian forms of yoga practice, in particular hatha yoga, have undergone sometimes radical transformations and adaptations in the encounter with foreign ideas and practices. And diasporic yogas, that is, the diaspora would be all around the world, essentially Hindu influence around the world, have taken on a life of their own in many parts of the world. Adaptation and mutation have always been features of yoga's history as competing and coexisting theories and practices exert their influence on one another with some practices disappearing while others take on new sophisticated forms. Now, I read that long quote because, it's, first of all, it's true and helpful, but it also is partly the answer to the question. Is yoga against your religion? Is yoga bad for your health? Um, those kind of questions, well, it depends. Some are. Some are it some can be, yeah. some and some are religious, and you should be and you should be aware. You can make anything. Yes, into and this a one religion. and this one, I think, because yoga works. We've talked about this before. Because it works, it's more likely to be used for manipulative purposes. Because what's powerful works. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like that's how it goes. But it's also to say that adapting it or changing it is perfectly acceptable. That's that's what uh, what's going on. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like. Like, it's not about a cultural appropriation. It's saying, I need some tools in my life that I don't have. There are other cultures that they sit still for a while, and I'm busy running around commuting all the time. Why don't I try that? Right. And so it does, you know, it's like, it's like saying, oh, uh, Muslims pray, and I'm a Christian, so I shouldn't pray. No. <laughs> if you want to pray five times a day, go ahead if that helps. You know, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but criticisms do exist within the history of yoga. A lot of people realized that some forms of yoga or a lot of forms of yoga were problematic. And this wasn't a Christian concern. This was just a human uh, wise reflection. That is, sometimes the, the early Hindu tradition or the early yoga traditions within India were so caught up in austerities that they would really deprive their bodies of things. Mm-hmm. So this reminds us earlier on in the, this season, we were talking about the, uh, the miso soup cult, you know, and uh, not eating what your body needs mm-hmm. can have a powerful effect. Fasting can have a powerful effect right. on the mind and body. But if you're just doing it so much that you stop eating, then you'll die. Right. Or you'll deplete your body of the nutrients it needs. And so that's not very good. Um, and some practices that some of the gurus had were, were totally quackery, like I was talking about the anal uh, <laughs> finger. Like, what is that? Like, just stop it. Um, some practices are actually, as I said, dangerous and unhealthy if you were to practice, practice them today. And that's why I really do like the Taoist uh, yoga traditions, the Chinese traditions, Tao Yin, for instance. Um, uh, they're still sometimes kind of weird. Like there's some of this kind of alchemical tradition where they're still dealing with like where your saliva goes and where your energies go and so forth. And I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of that, you know, mm-hmm. but what I do like is naturalness. So, and we're, as we're translating the Tao Te Ching, we're talking about poo, not P O O, but P U in our transliteration. Um, the uncarved block or the natural block. Mm-hmm. So, for, well, yeah, kind of. I mean, that's why I would say I like the idea of the wood instead because already a block is something, right? Right. right. Yeah, we so, don't we don't use uncarved block. So 
you know, the... We just say natural wood. Because, <laughs> yeah, something's already tweaked with a block to make the block, the wood the block in the first place. Right. Um, and, but it's this, yeah, it's that naturalness and just being. So that part of yoga is what you really pick up for me when you're doing the, the yin yoga uh, stretching with Jesus night. It's allowing the naturalness to reemerge. And, and I would say, because, and I've heard this too, that once, once you've carved something into something, it's, that becomes its purpose. So when you go back to a state that is the, the piece of wood, right? Right. Before it was ever carved, then it, you're kind of taking away all of the, the labels and the preconceptions and what maybe get piled on people and things right. for what their utility is. And uh, yeah, anyway, but I, I digress. No, no, but. I think that's really important. And um, uh, now, have you ever tried uh, tapping? If, if, uh, I well, sort of, because um, yeah. I know that even in one of the yoga classes, yeah, yeah. we've had you know where you like you're like hitting you know your body at different places and like you know what I mean like yes. that touch. That um, you know I'm sure there's there's a whole history of that, but it does have a lot of uh, connection to the 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 Taoist or Chinese side of things, because what you're doing is you're finding those uh, acupressure points mm-hmm. that are supposed to be along these energy meridian lines. I don't believe in the meridians. Mm-hmm. I believe, though, that it has help, helpful benefits if you think about it in those terms because what you're doing is when you're tapping, you're basically literally tapping on a part of your body. Mm-hmm. It could be like on the, that bone on your, on your hand that, right close to your wrist. Um, and you just, you're literally just tapping on it with mm-hmm. your other finger. And what that does is it returns your consciousness to the embodiment that you're in. So I don't know what, what kind of like... But it brings consciousness. To consciousness. I can, I can mm-hmm. attest to this. But it also, for me, allowed me to reduce my anxiety. So mm-hmm. I was having a panic attack. And by just doing something like this, by returning myself to my body, I wasn't up in my head about all the things I had to do this week. Yeah, you so have to be sense. aware of the movement that you're making. Yeah. But that's really the modern, some modern forms of Taoist yoga. You're not going to find it very often. They don't have them in the strip mall. Usually the strip mall is going to be filled with kind of a, a Western appropriation of, of Hinduism. Our Hindu traditions and yoga. And, and often, you know, I will say, a lot of the time, if you just go to core power yoga, it's just going to be people stretching. It's just not, it's not religious. A no, lot of people yeah. aren't doing that. And, uh, but... Well, and it's, yeah. There, there is one place where you're going to get something like Taoist yoga, and that's Tai Chi. So Tai Chi is, the, is movement, but you're trying to flow and you're, and you're reducing stress. There's movement, you know, um, which strangely... I've only tried as Christian Tai Chi because of Stacy Kitahata. Mm. Uh, interestingly, Stacy is Japanese, <laughs> but she uh, she was uh, drawing from the Tai Chi tradition, but did it in uh, the form of spiritual practice. But I think I think you know one of the things I, I am a I'm a guy who my my friends accuse me of being like woke police. You know, not police, but like being too woke. You know, I'm like oh, I don't do that. You know, especially now, like I don't even want to tell them that I'm not eating meat anymore because they're gonna go there. You go, you hippie, but. Um, I think, I think that, uh, well, anyway, I, I think that, that if they saw me doing Tai Chi outside, they'd say, okay, that's, that's enough. Of <laughs> but I'd like to try it. A l- I'd like to try a little bit more because it's, it's, it's the flow. It's that motion, right? So sometimes yoga is sitting still in poses, but sometimes it's, it's, uh, when you like have what's vinyasa, mm. you flowing, you're doing this routine where you're repeating something over and over. Mm-hmm. But then let me jump in is I'm not the guy who's gotten trained in it from you, right? No. Uh, or, or like you did. But I, I do know a little bit about the religion stuff. Yeah. And I would say, look, if you're, let's say you're a Christian, right? I, I really can't speak to this as uh, somebody that's a Muslim 
or 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 Jewish or or, or something else. I mean, certainly if you're a Buddhist, I'm sure you're gonna have no problem having a lot of fun with that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It fits. Mm-hmm. But um, but a Christian, can a Christian appropriate some of these elements? Well, uh, let me start with Saint Augustine. Saint Augustine, the great saint of the West, said that we should always be free to spoil the Egyptians. And what that means is uh, he's re- referring back to the Exodus, where the people of of Israel, the the Hebrew people that become Israel, right? They, they, they come out of Egypt and they bring with them some things. Arguably, some historians say they kind of bring some legal traditions, you know, and poetry and, and, and mythological uh, stuff. But most importantly, they're bringing uh, supplies. So that's part of the story. But that's just the metaphor. What, what Augustine was talking about was pagan thought. So every Christian that I know has no problem with me teaching their kids about Socrates mm-hmm. or Aristotle, mm-hmm. two pagans, interesting, right? Yeah. Um, no, no, like, they just expect pe- everyone it. reads Homer. Christian right. Christian homeschool kids are reading Homer, the Iliad, and the Odyssey. What are we appropriating? We're appropriating the literature for what it is, and we don't believe in Zeus and Hera, so we're reading it, right? Right. Uh, and so, as long as you don't believe in Zeus and Hera, which you know, maybe you are a polytheist, but like most people aren't, right? Uh, so, you 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 take that. And then you leave the stuff that you don't think is helpful, right? Right. And so I think, to me, the only reason that a lot of Christians are saying, well, we can take some of the practices of the pagan West, specifically the Greco-Roman pagan world, and Christmas trees, which are like Germanic, right? We can keep that stuff. <laughs> um, but, if it's a, but here's the thing. If it's an Eastern tradition that's not Christian, then every part of it needs to be gone. You see what I'm saying? And I see this as xenophobic, arguably racist sometimes, right? Like it's, it's like that part of us, uh, maybe it's not explicit, but it's like, hey, I don't want to touch this thing because it's the Tao Te Ching, that's Chinese, mm. you know? Mm. And that's exotic. But if I have a Chinese philosopher, that's religious. Well, but I mean, Socrates common, is not religious. You know, and it's pretty common for people to fear the unknown, right? Right. Oh, definitely. And so if these are foreign to them, if it's unknown, it becomes, you know, fearful. Like... It's uncharted territory, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So here's what I would say to really break it down, what I think the listener needs to know is that there's different types of yoga, and that's going to help you to keep your wits about you. you. Knowing what kind of yoga you're looking at or getting into is going to make a big difference in your experience and whether or not it is against your religion. If you're a Christian, go to core power yoga. I think you're fine. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to like the ma pa shops, not the chains, but, you know, hey, hit it as you, as you like. Um, Kundalini. Let's start with Kundalini. Kundalini actually has a uh, kind of a Sikh, S-I-K-H, probably should be pronounced Sikh, Sikh, but uh, Sikh sounds like sickness, Mm -hmm. so we say Sikh. Um, Kundalini is intense breath work. And uh, I've only tried it once, and I saw, like, a, uh, the dragon woman appear before me. Like, I hallucinated Mm -hmm. visually, intensely, through Kundalini. Right. Like, well... Because essentially you are sort of starving your body from oxygen, essentially. I think that's what it's doing. Yeah, you're, it's like you're you, you hold breathe, your breath. It's almost like you, hyperventilating. You hyperventilate sometimes. And it's, it's, it's psychedelic. And it can be dangerous. <laughs> uh, Michael Pollan argues that it is, the, it is more dangerous than psychedelic uh, drugs like LSD and mushrooms because it's, it has a similar kind of uh, like mind-altering effect, mm-hmm. but it also can, if you have like a heart condition, right? like those kids who sometimes, like if you hear kids uh, die when they're, they're uh, just dropping dead young, strong athletes dropping dead 
in basketball games because they're breathing heavy and they're gone. It's the heart, heart condition. So you're going to have to do more research, uh, dear listener, on whether or not you're comfortable with the slight risks involved. I don't think it's heavy risks, well, and, but and there, there are some slight risks. My um, and maybe do you want to see the dragon lady? I don't know. Well, when I was <laughs> doing sure my she was real, but <laughs> when I was doing my yoga, um, my yoga teacher training, uh, one of my teachers he had done uh, the kundalini and it actually passed out during really? the session. Yeah. yeah, kundalini though. Interestingly, kundalini uh, often will also have uh, like sick um, singing. And sometimes Sufi stuff is in, involved. But what I noticed is a lot of it is sounds very much like what I think Christians would appreciate, singing to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and often they'll sing about the guru, but the guru is, in this case, you're not talking about a specific guru, but like the teaching. Mm-hmm. So the guru, Granth Sahib, that's what they mean, like the teaching, the, 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 the vehicle of teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're the kind of religious person that's comfortable with kind of playing in other fields that have similar but not identical themes, you can get very worshipful. Like the words would work for a Christian, but it is a different religion. Mm -hmm. So very often Kundalini is going to be far more religious and uh, more psychedelic. Then you've got stuff that's more fitness related, like Iyengar. Iyengar is a fun one where you, you don't see it everywhere, but they have straps that go into the wall so that you can kind of use that to stretch. And it's a kind of a, uh, a fun thing, but it requires a, a yoga studio to do construction work, right? My favorite that I don't see much at all anymore now that the one closed is, what's that one? Uh, we did aerial yoga, you know, kind of like the uh, yeah. the trapeze artists. That and that is so much fun. But I, I think that's that. more like going to Disneyland than a, than a, you know, a strong tradition. So one thing about Iyengar is that it does, it, it definitely involves like um, very like, it's like very precise. Um, and so like, there's like a very specific way that you are doing things. I mean, I know that, you know, in any of your poses, and obviously you're going to be, you know, directed into the best right. way to, you know, posture it. But Iyengar is a lot more detail oriented and very, very precise. And, and sometimes if you find that to be constricting, that, that could be, I, I assume, a problem. But I, I think also for somebody like me, I sometimes need to have something like a Rubik's Cube to focus my mind on. Yeah, some people want that. Sometimes you need it, but most for of the time, me, that's not I what I'm think for. I get caught up in how yes. right or wrong I'm doing it, that then I probably lose the benefit, that if that makes sense. Makes sense. That totally makes sense. <laughs> but so, again, uh, personal preferences and what people's needs are, you know, mm. vary. And so it's all, you know, what, what might be good for somebody, you know, yeah. it could be, the, you know, the opposite of calming to another person, right? Yes. <laughs> anyway. I, I, sh- I should actually go back to Kundalini, by the way, because what's not calming about it is, it's interesting. I don't know if I just kind of subliminally knew this, and this is why I saw the, the, the dragon lady, but the idea is that there's this like kind of Kundalini snake that goes up your spine and then comes into your head. Like it's, it's, this is the, the oh, visuals. And maybe, yeah. But I bet it's, I bet people probably see stuff like that all the time because of just. Well, sometimes when, yeah, when a certain activity yeah. produces a, a common experience, right. then that's what gets talked about. Right. Yes. I have, I have only had two vivid paranormal seeming experiences. Um, or visual hallucinations in my life. I've had mystical experiences, but I've never had like, two, like visual experiences. And the one was the breath work in Kundalini. Mm-hmm. And the other was absolute sleeplessness 
where I saw the, 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 the chupacabra. Well, see, actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it because I'm not afraid, okay? But you're not supposed to say it was a skinwalker. So if you mm. go, go Google that, the skinwalker, you're not supposed to talk about skinwalkers. But I've, I've talked about this to, the, the, like, Native American people. <laughs> They're mm. like, oh, yeah, a, you saw a skinwalker. Mm, interesting. <laughs> it's like, that's what you, you're not supposed to talk about it, dude. I'm like, I, I don't know. But anyway, um, but the mind does have a, a way of being able to have produce incredible hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Through these techniques, that's why, like I said, uh, Sufi dance where they do the whirling dervish or uh, fasting, staying up in vigils, you know, vigils, uh, sleeplessness. These are all things that religious people have done mm-hmm. for, for ages and ages and ages. In addition to like the Hindus of uh, old taking psychedelic mushrooms and singing and creating prophecies out of that. But um, the, the, the one thing I should say, though, is that a lot of people hate yoga for a good reason. They were exposed to it through the crazy cult, the Rajneeshis. Mm. Uh, so this dude, the Rajneesh, the, uh, um, the, the guru of this group of people that ended up creating their own little city in Oregon. And it was scary. And they were going to like poison all the, the water. You, you can find this documentary, friends. If you've not seen it, you got to see it. It is wild, wild country that you can stream online. And uh, it's a multiple, you know, part series on it. That's if you want to know how crazy cults can get, that's a good one. But a lot of people are thinking, okay, I don't want anything to do with that nut, nutty stuff. Yeah, well, and I would say that when there are things that can be beneficial about something, then even bad people will hijack some of those yeah. things for yes. their own purposes. Right, and that's why I think it worked so well because he was able to take the Rajneeshis were able to like bring in all of these wandering homeless druggy kids who who now could have something like drugs without the drugs mm-hmm. and then the family and the support network to do it but then they were manipulated and controlled and uh, people still quote Osho that that's what he changes his name to the dude like escapes on a private jet the dude was like the worst kind of Christian televangelist you're going to get, but worse, right? Mm. Um, people still cite him. What I really hate about it is I want, friends, eventually, I, I was hoping to make a t-shirt that just said spiritual anarchy um, as our kind of like our fun tagline for maybe next season or just for a while. But uh, the only person that I could find that actually used, used that was uh, this dang Osho, the Rajneeshis. Mm. Dude ruins everything. <laughs> uh, ruins they stole, everything. They stole, they stole the logo. I think he's dead. Um, you know who else ruined uh, yoga for a lot of people here is uh, Bikram. Yeah. Bikram Chowdhury. Uh, we've mentioned him before. I had a little bit of a fight with his followers on uh, Twitter a while back. I wouldn't say it's a fight, but they were mad at us for for the way we talked about it. But this dude was a sexually abusive jerk. Right. And he would he would he would yell at people, but it was really really powerful. People said this the hot yoga that he was doing, and he was the guy who really popularized the hot yoga where you have like super high temperatures. And, you, and you're sweating out whatever the impurities are, but he's yelling at you and just breaking you down. And people just said, this changed my life. Helped him lose weight, helped him get off of drugs. I mean, I'm sure that he helped a lot of people. Right. Which is, I mean, exactly why, I mean, because of that is so powerful that they are willing to overlook and excuse yes. a lot of the bad behavior. It's kind of like uh, Ravi Zacharias. You know, I, I was always uncomfortable with the idea that there was a thing called Ravi Zacharias Ministries, mm-hmm. RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International yeah. Ministries. And I'm like, I don't know, he seems like he's fine, I guess. But like, he turned out to be really bad. Right. And 
I just think that as a general rule, anybody who's making the brand them is not a good spiritual guide. Because right. if I'm looking for somebody who can help me to figure out how to shed my ego and find <laughs> my, my true self, if my true self is just a slave, a brain slave to... Branding yourself. To, well, you to know. some other dude's yeah. thing. That's... No, it's like a pyramid scheme. And in fact, Bikram does this. So the real great tragedy of that is he, tra- he, you know, he gets a lot of money. And by the way, this is the weird thing. Uh, Stacy does not make a lot of money <laughs> doing yoga. Like you don't make a lot of money doing no. it. The, where the money's at though is hustling other people into the classes. So if Stacy wanted to make money, it would be as an instructor that would charge a couple thousand dollars. So yoga teacher training. Yes. So if you did the training, that's where the money is. And so in many ways... Bikram made a bunch of money by training people and, and then giving them the ability to have a license to put Bikram yoga out front of their buildings. Well, then after his sexual scandals, yeah. well, what happened to those poor ladies and, and some dudes? But like, what happened to the, the, the well, entrepreneurs? Well, some of them, you know, still defend him. Um, others found other ways to label their yoga classes, maybe like hot yoga. Right. So I'm, it's not guaranteed that it's all going to be uh, Bikram movements probably for any, to, for a hot yoga class that you have. Right. Um, but, but it's possible. It can very well be. Um, and, and I don't think those that, people are necessarily problematic unless they've imbibed that way of thinking. Right. You know? So you right. want to be careful. I mean, this is what I would say. Kundalini, that's, that's, that's a tricky business. Um, Iyengar, take it or leave it. Bikram yoga, if anything's still called Bikram, I'm really wondering why they didn't why change do that name. Why do they still want to associate, yeah. And then if it's hot yoga, I'm going to ask them about it. Right. I would. Right. You know, I don't have to be confrontational. I'm like, you know, I've heard some scandalous stuff about this Bik- Bikram Chowdhury. You know, to what extent are you related to that, that scene? And, and what do you think about it? You know, and you might want to be a little bit more... Um, I guess, aware of, is there a sense of touchiness in that class you yeah. know, from the instructor yeah. that it doesn't feel right or appropriate? And if they're totally open, they're like, oh yeah, the dude would turn out to be a bum, but we, we really like the methods. But if they're like trying to defend him, that's a sign that the instructors they have might not be... Ready or, or they're buying they're, into it. Yeah, or, or like the, that those patterns of behavior. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. People that are... So, um, but generally speaking, hot or no hot... What you're normally going to get when you just see something that says yoga is vinyasa. And we've already talked about that. Do you have anything more to say about just what vinyasa is? Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, you're obviously you're moving your body in certain, um, um, you know, into poses with breath work. And so you're flowing. It's flowing. Yeah, breathing it's, and flowing. It's breathing and flowing. And Often moving. you're working yeah. up a sweat regardless. And It's uh, a lot you know, of work. I mean, you're not... You're not, you know, going very far, but like just to like some hold these poses. Yeah, it can get really. It's intense, amazing how just know? standing in like the in the warrior warrior pose. Warrior and, and the other thing too chair is pose. I don't want I don't want me even like saying that though um, to keep you from ever trying it because yeah. the other thing to keep in mind the other thing to keep in mind is that um, in every class it's always completely acceptable when you can when you've pushed your you know you're like ah this is not good for me anymore I've done too much yeah downward dogs like that then for you me. go downward you know then you go into a different position um, what do you child's recommend? pose yeah. or even just laying on your mat for a second grab in some water take a break if you need to and that you is don't have to do completely it. acceptable the and whole if it's point, not acceptable you're in the wrong place exactly but almost always that's what they're trained They'll to do always tell you that listen to your body and the best yoga instructors do what Stacy does which is 
something that Dave Schultz, my friend, uh, Dr. Schultz did not like. I dragged him to a yoga class and he said, they're telling me what to do. I don't like somebody telling me what to do. Yeah. What you tend to do is invite people to some possibilities. Yes. So if you want to do this, you could do this. So you kind of introduce some possibilities with the understanding that at any point I can... I can just change the game up. Yeah, and I actually just recently did another um, you know, training in like trauma-informed care. Yes. And they, you know, they stressed that that can be a trigger for people, uh, you know, when you're, when they think that, that you have to do something or that you're being right. told, you know, like right. that everything is just a suggestion. It's an invitation. Yes. <laughs> and you are in control of you and, and your body and what you do and don't do, you know, and that's, yes. it's, that's important. I would say wherever you're at in life, right? Yes. Like where, whatever you're doing, if, if somebody is, you, your body is, you know, like if you're in pain or something and somebody's still trying to tell you to, to whether you're in athletics or whatever, and if your body is hurting, you should stop and address that and not let anybody else ever tell you to just to keep pushing forward. And the other thing too, my um, yoga my yoga instructor, um, my uh, teacher, had told me um, that the only time she's ever been injured in a class is when an instructor moved her mm -hmm. into a position. Um, you know, it's always best if, if you kind of like help maybe tap somebody in an area if you need to. I don't, because of COVID and everything, right. no touching, I don't, you know, do that. But, um, but the idea is forcing somebody into a position to maybe even hold the correct posture of it may, it may not be right for, for you, you know, right. so you can hurt people, <laughs> um, by, you know, twisting a, a, somebody's body in a way that just isn't what they can do, maybe a prior injury or whatever else that, it, you know, is causing them to not, to have that limitation anyway, yeah. just a, a little side note, but, um, but yes, that is, that can be a thing is that. If somebody is sitting there insisting <laughs> that you do something, I, that's not helpful for anybody. Yeah. So I guess this is like we're getting to, to the conclusion, which is, 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 is yoga against your religion? It might be. And you might not want to take part in some kinds of religion. Uh, so then you wouldn't. Can it be bad for your health? It might be if you're not honoring and respecting your own limits. And the stretches. What do you say? If I, if I, my problem is on my left side when I'm stretching out my hamstring, I get it like an electrical kind of. Yeah, you should back away from that. If you're, if there's any kind of electrical or like you know, like, your nerves. like a heat kind yeah. of thing or something, back down from that. I mean, there's a difference between, you know, maybe pushing your your body in a in a way, and it and it might be difficult. The muscle, yeah, yeah, it might be difficult yeah. to hold a pose. And then you then you <laughs> then you stretch yourself, you yeah. know, versus something that causes, some, yeah, yeah, like some sort of electricalness. Now, but before we before we end, I do but want to. That's yeah. probably also a sign that something else is pinched. Yes, like, so yeah, you have a you have a bigger issue. It's somewhere good to know. Else, yeah, and and then be aware of that and then look at you know are there appropriate stretches to get to that problem maybe that's in your back and maybe it's not and a stretch maybe you need to go to a doctor and just yes. figure out you know do yes. i have do i have like a, a problem my vertebrae here you know um but but one thing that was really sad is that I, I was so excited I, I found stacy this this job idea that just made me so delighted and it was um it was uh somebody was looking and i because I, I just typed in i was like you know see i want to see if there's any cool like 
any cool thing that Stacy could do? Because I love what you do, you know, on Wednesdays with the students. Maybe there's something that's like this. So I typed in <laughs> my search engine, jobs that involve death doula and, and meditation uh, yoga stuff. Somebody who could be doing both, right? Because I was hoping that maybe, maybe there'd be like an old folks home that wanted, um, wanted like uh, elder care, uh, like yoga for old people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought that'd be really, I think you'd like to do that. Uh, that would fit both your things. And there was, there was this thing and they were like, oh, this is great. Like somebody, they actually want somebody who's doing, doing, is able to help people that are at the end of their life and can do yoga. Mm-hmm. This is really great. And so I was so excited, but, and, and they were very, very, very nice and very open to, you know, they, they, I think they loved you. The problem was as Stacy's talking to the dude, I'm doing the research and it sounds really great, but the problem was, is related to this group, Ananda. Ananda. Now, I just want to tell this little piece of the story because it is interesting as the way of wrapping it up. I might have started at the beginning, friends, but sometimes the story is good to go back to the beginning. In America, in America, the, the, the way that people got into yoga, like my grandfather, who was a Lutheran kid um, on the East Coast in New Jersey, just south of uh, uh, you know, Manhattan, he... Um, he when he died, you came out and we were going through his stuff and I was kind of mad at him because I was a good Christian kid that he had this book on yoga. I'm like, what's my grandpa doing doing the yoga? Well, the one thing is about my grandpa, he had lived through the Great Depression, so he tried everything he could for health that didn't require money. <laughs> yeah. So he was and into... And all you need is your body. He was into supplements. He was into yoga, like whatever he could do. You know, he had a hernia, so he'd just buy an extra belt on sale and then just cinch it up, you know, <laughs> oh, know. but he, he died a millionaire, but we didn't know because he just didn't want to spend the money anyway. But beyond that, where does he get his information? Well, his yoga, where he got turned on to yoga was much earlier in the 20th century through a dude named Paramahansa Yogananda. Uh, not directly, my, my grandpa didn't meet him, but um, Paramahansa Yogananda was a kind of celebrity in America uh, that popularizes yoga. So he brings it and uh, to the United States and he's kind of like a missionary for the power of yoga and he was a fan of Jesus. So it, it kind of worked in the West. Mm-hmm. Right. And this was really big. And I, I think he seems, you know, cool enough. Right. So that part was fine. But then because of the popularity of this guy, a lot of these other wacky gurus kind of take mm. off. And within the, uh, the, the tradition of Paramahansa Yogananda, and his his autobiography of a yogi is the classic, you know, in that world of of yoga and, and the Hindus coming into America. Um, but it was uh, a student of his, so Paramahansa Yogananda's student, who was named James Donald Walters, but uh, he calls himself Kriyananda. Okay, uh, Kriyananda was the guy that founded the offshoot there's like a dispute amongst the disciples of Paramahansa Yogananda and uh, James uh, James Donald Walters aka Kriyananda ends up starting the movement and the organization called Ananda which in many ways if you're cool with anything that's not your exact religion seems pretty positive right their teachings seem pretty positive but this is the thing that really bummed me out so I'm looking into it and Kriyananda has sexual, uh, sexual abuse allegations, but he changed people's lives. So just like the Southern Baptist Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the uh, Roshi up in Mount Baldy at the Zen Center, um, 
these spiritual teachers consistently have been sexually inappropriate with their disciples. So the key <sighs> is, you, the, as a general rule of thumb, any guru is against your best interest. Yeah. Now, now and, I, and, I, and I mean this because I love, I love I, you know, I, who, who's a, a, a Midnight Gospel? Uh, who, the, oh, uh, Duncan Trussell. Yeah. I, like they always say, who do you want to hang out with if you were stuck on a desert island? I want to hang out with you, of course. But then Duncan Trussell. Because that guy, I could talk to him for hours. He's hilarious. I love him. He's really into stuff. But he's kind of gotten roped into a little bit more because he's into Ram Dass. Ram Dass, of course, really influential on the on the Death Doula stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Ram Dass. I like him. We've mm-hmm. talked about him on the show, though. Ram Dass himself was unable to recognize that his guru had been sexually inappropriate. Mm. And and that's my problem with it. It's not that somebody can't teach you something. It's that once you give up that uh, autonomy, um, then you're in danger. And my problem with a lot of these traditions isn't that I wouldn't mind hanging out with them. But like I like if you're dealing in the world of like the, the kind of new age uh, Eastern traditions brought over to America, there's really only one guy who's safe. Like really, in my knowledge, only one guy who's safe. And that is, uh, tell me if you can guess, who's the one guy from the 60s that might have been hanging out at Esalen or um, talking about Buddhism and Taoism and Hindu traditions. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You get Joseph Campbell. So like Joseph Campbell might be all right, but he maybe he was a little anti-Semitic. We're not quite sure. Um, I don't really know. Alan I, Watts. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Because of course. Alan I don't, I don't Watts, know why I was drawing a blank. The reason but. I like Alan Watts is he, he didn't go down for the gurus. He was skeptical of the gurus. He was interested in what they taught. But he didn't try to be a guru. He yeah, was a teacher. He was a teacher, but I don't. He didn't. He didn't think you need to be my disciple. There was not. Yeah, there was nothing. And other he could have other than him, basically, sort of sharing his knowledge. He was a sexy guy. Of what he knew with He's other people. Um, but he didn't really. To my knowledge, I mean, you know, he had. He was a. He he was a player. He would get drunk and <laughs> womanize. But he wasn't. He didn't. Um, he didn't use that. I mean, maybe he used it to just like a rock star to to get laid. I don't know, but it wasn't like, and I'm, I'm just the same. I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know for a fact that he didn't do that, but I know for a fact that the way he talked was different from all of these other gurus. And what they say is you have to have a guru. Right. The idea is I hear this over and over and over again in these, in these circles that you cannot find spiritual awakening without a guru. And I think that's crap. Yeah. I think that the guru is going to take you back five feet if he give you two feet forward. And when you're meditating on his likeness, Screw that. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I love everybody. I love you no matter what your tradition is. And maybe, you, maybe it's helpful to you. followers, if somebody wants, yeah. It even is. just, no, singing even, to your guru, no. Yeah, no. Man, I'm not even sure Jesus was into that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus is a teacher. He's a guru in that way. But the idea that you're like. He didn't. He wanted you to fulfill his way, like, be a little him in the world. Yes. But, but yes, but branch off, not, yeah. Jesus doesn't say, come sit and kiss my feet. Right. He washed the disciples' feet, damn it. <laughs> yeah. And even, it even, look, but and it, if Jesus it, it's, did. It's, the, it's, it's humans that want yes. that. <laughs> yes, know? we want to like, worship our musicians and, and all yeah. this. Oh, but anyway, so, but the only reason I bring that up is 
that is something that you can run into. So you can go to Core Power Yoga, you'll be probably fine. <laughs> if you go to a yoga studio where there's a heavy emphasis on the picture of some dead person that was like a guru with flowers around their neck, get somewhere well, else. Just, they just want fame. They want like, even, or power or something. I don't no, know. Money, power, but... glory. Or they really think it's the way to go. But I'm just saying, if you, pre- if you, if you want to protect your noggin and your physical body from weirdos, uh, you know what? You know what's a real safe one, baby? What? Just go on YouTube. Go Google my favorite Rastafarian lady. Oh, she John is nine. a preacher, John Nine. J A H, the number nine, John Nine. She's got some great music, but you can also watch her videos and she'll work, work through some routines with you. And you oh, can do she, this. Yeah, she does yoga. You can do this at home or anybody. You can just go on YouTube. Get a sense of what's going on with it. See if it's right for you before you have to get into the real question of if you're going to go to a yoga studio on a regular basis, are you getting yourself into a cult? <laughs> well, you don't have to deal with that if it's a YouTube video. Also, if you go to a studio, you can just look up the studio online first um, on their yeah. website and see what, what they picture. say their sort of their philosophy is or whatever. Yeah. Then you can get it, it can it can paint a picture for you, and you can kind of generally speak understand at least what you might be walking into. Um, yeah, I mean, it won't be a surefire guarantee, but yes, you, it'll yes. help you weed out some strange ones, I think, um, and, and, and steer you at least <laughs> in the right direction yeah. so that you're not fully walking into something. And um, the other thing, too, just because you came into a class doesn't mean you can't walk right, right out, out in the middle any of it point. if you're not feeling comfortable. Yep. I will say, though, Stacey, this is really important in all of this stuff, that even if you... You've listened to what we said. You say, I think there's some nice things about it. I don't really feel like I'm ready to, 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 to dance that close to the devil, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, however you think about it. Please do something like yoga. Do something that reconnects you to your body. I know some people, you know, they really find um, value in martial arts, right? Right. Um, that also can maybe have its own, you know. I don't know, too disciplined or something for folks, but whatever. it could be, I mean, whatever it is that gets Walking. you moving, yeah, moving your body, um, you know. But yeah. I would say, I would say Take something like Zazen, classes. but I mean, so, to, to me, <laughs> even like something like Zazen at, um, it was interesting. I heard from Sarah Condon, who's an Episcopal priest. She was talking at the conference that, uh, that they do the Mockingbird conference in New York where we were, mm-hmm. um, was, uh, she was saying that she had done savasana. That's yes. the corpse pose. And that's all she'll do. She's not going to do the other yoga stuff, right. but she'll just do savasana. So she just lays for 15 minutes on her back on the floor. And she had like a vision, a spiritual vision. And she, it was very powerful for her. Yeah. I think that's at least one thing is to say, I know it sounds weird because you lay on your, your back all the time in the bed. Find yourself a space where you intend to give yourself 10, 15 minutes and lie on your back or sit in a, a, a cross-legged and look down at 45 degree angle at the <laughs> ground and do yourself a little bit of sitting meditation and you don't, you're not thinking about anything. Preferably being still. <laughs> preferably away from your um, cats and dogs that want to climb all over you. Yeah, I mean, this is this is gonna. This, uh, the other day, I was I was I was doing my uh, stretch. I was I was I was uh, I had a block and we, one of the things that Stacy, you know, can you know have you you do is you use the block. I put it under my 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 tailbone. You know, and so I can have like a little back bend. It stretches out. I love that. Mm-hmm. I cannot touch my toes, but I can. I can stretch. Like I can stretch really nice with a back bend. This is the way my body is. 
And um, so I'm laying there and I was um, super stressed out. And as I said, I don't believe in meridians. And it's also probably technically illegal to do um, uh, acupuncture on yourself. Mm-hmm. But I got some acupuncture needles. Probably not. D- don't do what I do. It's a, I'm don't like jackass. No, I don't think it's, Don't do anything illegal. At home. But anyway, so I, uh, I popped them into my... Uh, uh, in my third eye, <laughs> but I put uh, put a, a couple uh, needles in my forehead, and I really uh, I really like to sit in there, uh, and um, I think what that does I don't know for sure I think what that does is it gives me um, like my body a sense that it's releasing uh, pain, hmm. um, counteracting the pain. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt at all, but it might it might tell my body that there is pain. But regardless, it just helps me focus and sit. Hmm. The dog was freaked out. And this is, the, this is why I'm never going to do this again. This is why you shouldn't do this at yeah. home, friends. She came over to try to save me because she thought like, oh, no, my master has been, uh, and I, she doesn't call me a master. Uh, but, you know, like dad's, dad's got like a <clears throat> something stuck in the head. So she helped try to get it out uh, by oh. licking it. And I'm like, no, no, no. And so then I said, I am never, because uh, I'm scared of needles anyway. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> Thank you. So let that all be a warning to you all, But folks. if you would Don't like, Stacey, would you ever, if you put, home. would you push, you put some needles in my back? No. I really like it. No, no one will do it. Like no, everyone won't do I'm it not, at home. I'm not a uh, trained uh, <sighs> practitioner See, I, just, I think I you should know. I don't know maybe I think you should pay costs a lot of money to, to have somebody to I, just, I could do it myself if I could reach I'm joking friends that's <sighs> what you should but what I'm saying though is Jeff friends. is definitely again, I'm an adventurer an Enneagram 7 I'll wants do, to try I'll try things. it I'm exploring things but the main thing is what I'm saying don't you agree Stacey everybody needs some way to remind themselves of their embodiment yes. to get back in touch with themselves so they can be nice to themselves whatever that is for you and it sit is a little while so important because it is in that when you can find that presence and, and be there and quiet your mind and, you know, start to embrace some of that silence is where you start to get that deep peace upon peace. so much friends for joining us for this episode of the protect your noggin podcast you want to join in on the conversation we'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show you can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button and don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending you can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. You're not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter no too much.